Welcome back. We are back again with yet another episode of Across the Pond. Barry, how's it going? No matter how long I have to get ready, um, while you were crunching away at all of the words in the possible, you know, in the, in the world today, crunching all those <laughs> words in, I had so much time to get ready, but there's just never enough time, is there? It really isn't, Chad. It's something called Parkinson's Law, where things will always expand to the amount of time that you have. Yes. So no matter how how much time you have, things always seem to take that long. It kind of reminds me of, you know that you know those people who, they'll be five minutes away from where they need to be, but those are the ones that are late. But the guys who live an hour away are there on time. Or 100%, something. yeah. It's, it's that, the similar sort of thing, where you know you've got that time, it's easy to take all of it. Um, but no worries. We're here. Episode 75 is upon us. Chad, has been a crazy week on my side. Like you say, I've written what feels like a billion words this week. And so I'm feeling a bit run down. I cannot wait for the weekend, um, but nice. can't complain because the business is going really well. So so can't complain there. How are you doing? Well, that's good. I mean, it's hump day. So the weekend is on the horizon again, which is always exciting. Um, I'm good, bro. I'm good. I'm, I'm kind of in survival mode at this point in time, to be honest, uh, kind of in between. I'm still at the undisclosed location, as I'm sure you can all see. And uh, big apologies to everyone listening last week uh, for the less than average, the subpar audio quality. Um, I know even today it's not quite where it normally is. Uh, but Barry, I sent you a very uh, sad picture last week because my little microphone was on top of my camera. Uh, and it wasn't actually plugged in. Chad, I'm actually glad it's not just me. I mean, if you think back to that day <laughs> where I didn't push record on any of my devices and we lost the whole episode, at least yep. we still had this episode. It could have gone a lot worse. So I think we, we, we survived that one. And like we say, subpar, but still listenable, I hope. And so I hope you enjoy that last one. Uh, and this week, we've got a lot of stuff carrying on from that. A lot of cool stories coming up. And so hopefully the audio quality is crisp and clear today so we can get through everything today. Let's hope. And let's also hope we don't cut off for all of those watching live. Uh, apologies in advance if that does happen. Uh, we are playing with temperamental inter internet connections. So just, you know, bear with us, please. But loads of good stuff to come. Let's get right into the week that was. The week that was. Barry, we're cracking up off this episode with one of my favorite topics, uh, yours as well, but because of your your craziness this week, you're you, you know, less than up to speed than, than I would have liked, but that's all good. I'm more than happy to <laughs> nerd out on this and fill you in uh, on, on yesterday's Chad, Apple I can, event. I can, now, I can now represent all of our listeners who maybe didn't see the Apple event, and I yes. can be the noob to sit here and ask the questions <laughs> of the experts. And so let's look at it like that. I know I didn't do my homework, but please forgive me. We'll figure this out. But of course, Apple came out with another event on 420. So lots of lots of anticipation there. Chad, what did they unveil? What did they show? Yeah, quite a bit uh, from this one. I mean, obviously, we, we've, we've had some pretty jam-packed Apple events in the past. I mean, you know, it's really hard to match all of the unveilings that we've seen from, from all of those previous events, events. But I still think it is one that is pretty noteworthy and one that we, we're going to enjoy catching up with on, on all things Apple. Um, so the first thing to talk about is the Apple's sort of 
you know, emergence into the financial services world, Barry. You, you would have known they, they released a credit card, uh, obviously only uh, available in certain countries. Uh, and they're basically taking the next step on that. And, you know, some of the details were, were still a little bit kind of hidden. Um, but basically going into an Apple family credit card plan. Um, so essentially where you're able to add family members, you're able to set up spending limits, all of those kind of things you would expect from this kind of plan. Um, but the, the one thing that I, that where I said the detail was a little bit lacking um, is them talking about the, the credit model and the credit system, Barry. As you know, when it comes to actually building a credit record or credit history, uh, one of the good things that this will be, you know, will, will allow is for a spouse to sort of partake on a credit card plan and both, um, you know, both spouses be able to actually build a credit history. So straight off the bat, uh, not too much details on that, but I think that as it is, um, is, is, you know, a, a good kind of boosting to the, to the credit system that is kind of outdated at this point. Yeah, we've talked about a lot in the past, Chad, about how traditional financial services are under serious pressure from a lot of these tech companies who are looking to bring these sorts of products to market. It's not just Apple, of course. Every Tom, Dick, yeah. and Harry is trying to bring some sort of financial services product into the world because they have all the data. They have the huge customer bases. They have scale. They have all of the data, and they can do interesting things that traditional banks and whatnot just aren't able to do. And so this is a very interesting development. I think it's, I think it's hilarious because it's, it's going to get people even earlier into the, the Apple ecosystem. Imagine you're yep. a teenager and your parents are pulling you into the Apple ecosystem from 14, 15, whatever the story is. Um, and so it's yet another thing that's going to keep you in this walled garden. If all of a sudden you're paying with your Apple credit card and, and that's being pulled into everything, it's going to make it all that more convenient to then plug it into all the various products and services that they're selling. So it makes a whole lot of sense from a business perspective. And that credit card looks really sharp. I don't know if, if anyone's seen yeah. it. It looks really, really good. Um, and when combined with some of the, the, the functionality and whatnot that we'll hear about more in the coming months, I think it's going to be a really powerful product. And for Apple fanboys like ourselves, it's one of those things that we're going to watch with bated breath. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I don't know if it's available in the UK. I mean, I, I think it might be. It's not something I really looked into, uh, to be completely honest. But uh, they certainly sound sound like there's, there are some cool little members discounts and all of that type of stuff as well. Uh, but not something I know a whole lot about. The next thing is, is another thing that, that we uh, you know hold dear to our hearts, Barry, and that is the world of podcasting. Um, and, you know, we've been saying for a while that Spotify have been attacking this market uh, you know, really, really relentlessly. And uh, Apple seems to have been falling behind a little bit. Uh, you know, not forgetting, of course, that Apple played a, a key part in uh, kind of pioneering this this market sort of in the early days in uh, iTunes and allowing access to podcasts and, you know, from that platform. Um, but but certainly the, the platform has become a bit dated. And so what they've announced, and they didn't spend a whole lot of time on this, Barry, uh, but they've announced basically creator subscriptions. So we, we've spoken about this in a couple of apps uh, in the past, including Spotify as well, uh, where you can essentially, as your podcast, list a premium offering uh, that certain members can sign up to. And basically within the Apple podcasting platform, uh, either it, it's restricted content, you could have early releases to certain things, you can have ad-free access, all of that kind of stuff becoming available right in the Apple podcast app. 
uh, which I think is is pretty cool. I mean, over and above that, they've got some dedicated pages, uh, which will obviously make it a lot more uh, interactive, I guess. And, uh, you know, your branding will come across a lot stronger for anyone who is listening to your podcast. Um, and then lastly, some, some channels for, for recommendations. So if you, you're looking for a new podcast, obviously there's tons out there. Um, you know, there, there'll, there will now be a channel that you can sort of look to for for new recommendations uh, which I think is is promising in this world that that is emerging of, of podcasts what do you think Chad it baffles me that it's taken them this long to get to this sort of level like we chatted about the fact that they did pioneer podcasts and hmm. for the first five or six years of, the, of this they were the only player in the game and they still remain a ginormous player just because of that first mover advantage and the scale that they have and so as the podcasting has got bigger and bigger and become this, this ginormous industry, we've been waiting for them to, to reimagine this thing and kind of put some more effort into it. And so it's really good to see. I think it's really important. It, it probably is driven by Spotify's huge investment and Spotify's huge kind of strategic move towards trying to take over the podcasting game. But yeah. from a pure numbers perspective, Apple Podcasts still vastly outperform Spotify. And so they still have the scale. They still have the audience. And now it's a matter of kind of making that more unique for one chat i use that works and so i'm curious to see like how this user experience is going to shift and change over time in order to make this a, a better user kind of experience all around yeah that's the that's the exciting thing i guess is uh, you know you see the announcement you see the keynote presentation all of the the little uh, you know tweaks and and, and hints at, at what it might look like uh, but it's it's that moment where it's in your hand and the app that you use on a daily basis anyway has evolved uh, and that's when it really gets quite exciting uh, to see you know to see exactly what they do how all those integrations work especially when it comes to actually paying for for uh, you know a premium podcast uh, subscription does it just rely on the, the normal app store purchase uh, you know, interface that we see where you have to pop in either your touch ID or you know, it takes a, takes a quick scan of your face and all of your credit cards and all that kind of stuff is all directly linked already. Um, you know, I think there's loads of pros there for, for podcasters because of the fact that Apple is a trusted player in the space. And uh, rather than asking someone to go to your own website, uh, like some of the big podcasters we follow, Barry, uh, where you have to then, you know, sign up privately and get a RSS feed, a private RSS feed, and uh, you know, manually import that in. It's 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 not that slick, uh, and so I think having it directly in that app is is going to be a massive difference for podcasters. Definitely. And what's exciting from a creator perspective is that all these companies are now fighting to actually get you paid, which is really yep. cool. You've got a thousand different options now from super followers to Patreon to YouTube subscriptions to all of these things that are introducing these paid models to try and keep the creators on their platform and give them a way to monetize their stuff. And so that is really exciting for anyone creating content across the spectrum, no matter what your industry, no matter what your niche is, you can have so many opportunities to kind of turn your super fans into some sort of revenue generating um, operation so you can sustainably do this podcast, right? Yep. For, like, for example, for our podcast, Jade, we've been doing this for 75 weeks in a row now, <laughs> making zero dollars, right? Yep. And it's because we've got other stuff going on that we are using to fund our lifestyle. Yep. But, but it would be amazing if you get to a point where your podcast has got those 1,000 true fans that, that people talk about and they can monetize those to some extent to make sure that, that these things are sustainable. Like this doesn't just come cheaply. Like the equipment yep. and the time and all of the stuff actually costs money. And so it's really cool to see all these companies starting to compete about how to 
have the best experience and really pay content, which I think is really special to see. Yeah, it, it is special to see. And uh, although, you know, that intention might seem like it is coming from the right place, Barry, uh, it's it's not without their own benefits. So as much as they want uh, content <laughs> course, creators to get paid, uh, this is the other interesting thing that, that I found out from another article that I read, Barry, and that is that the pricing strategy here in terms of uh, commission that Apple will be taking is the same structure for subscriptions on the Apple store. Uh, and, and so, you know, that is something that is very interesting because for those of you who don't know what that structure is, in your first year of a subscription, Apple will take 30% uh, of, of com- you know, 30% commission of essentially the amount of the subscription and it's 15% thereafter. So, you know, certainly a good, a good thing happening here and that creators will be able to get paid uh, but it's it's not without benefit uh, of these large tech giants either. Of course, of course, we can never forget that. And and that thirty percent still feels really heavy to me, Chad. It still yeah. feels like a heavy hand. But of course, Apple have been doing it for years, and and they're in the middle of a bunch of lawsuits. We chatted about Hey.com and 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 Epic Games with Fortnite and that sort of thing in the past. And they're in this battle as to whether that 30% is actually fair and whether they can kind of monopolize things in the way they have. And yeah. so I'm curious to see as, as those lawsuits un, un, unveil themselves and as we see like what the competition commissions say, we, we might see changes to those, uh, those splits, Chad. Let's see. Certainly an interesting space to watch. Uh, we, we'll follow that, that case very, very closely. Uh, next up, Barry, and this is something that is a whole lot less exciting than any of the above. Um, although, depending on who you are, you, you might find it really exciting. My fiance is quite excited about it, for one. Um, but if you haven't upgraded to a new iPhone and it's been on your list uh, and, you know, you, you, just haven't, you just haven't done it just yet... Um, there is now a new color, Barry, and that is the, the purple iPhone 12. Uh, Apple are seriously throwing everything at this color game at the at this point in time. I mean, you know, already the iPhone 12 had quite an array of colors and certainly a whole lot more than ever previously, uh, especially when you, when you start looking at the actual aluminum being that color. Uh, but yeah, for this new purple iPhone 12, uh, kind of differentiating a product that has already been out in the market for quite a while, trying to just get that last little bit of appetite. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit strange to me, Chad. Like for those who are just listening, it's kind of a lavender color. It's a little bit lighter <laughs> purple than I would have imagined. And yeah. it, it goes against like the Apple of old. The Apple of a couple models ago would just stick to black, space gray, and like silver or something, right? And they would not go anything beyond that. And all of a sudden now, Chad, you can get these iPhones in any color you can imagine. And purple is 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 the new one on the on the block. And so I would be very curious to see what it looks like in person. Obviously, yeah. these photos on the website always look like supreme. But it's when you're holding it in the hand and you're kind of playing with it, you see like what it's really going to be like. But for those who love purple, maybe this is your thing. Who knows? <laughs> exactly. And yeah, like I said, if you've been on the fence, maybe this is the thing that propels you to purchase it. Who knows? Uh, the next thing, Barry. Not, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully not. not. <laughs> Hopefully not. Because, you know, the previous color was really cool. It was that like, uh, I, was it called Midnight Blue or something? I that, that blue color that was absolutely incredible. And the year before, it was this uh, signature green that a lot of people loved. Um, but anyway. Let's, uh, let's move on to something that I think is a lot more exciting. Uh, and that is called Air Tags, Barry. Um, so Air Tags, I, there's been a lot of rumors about this before. Uh, lots of leaks and, you, you know, you see, you see all of this pre 
Apple event leak stuff and that's been this has been on the radar for quite a while uh, I wasn't sure if it was actually going to ever manifest but air tags are out so what are air tags well essentially there are these little tags that you can attach to uh, essentially anything really uh, to your keys to your bag to your you know belongings whatever it is that you might lose uh, it's this little tag this tiny little tag um, that you can use the find my app which we would typically use to, to find lost iPhones, iPads, uh, lost computers, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you can now search for AirTags. And the, the additional thing that you can do, which I thought is quite cool, uh, is you can actually get a GPS-like uh, you know, navigation to this particular missing thing. So if you're actually, uh, let's say, 15 meters away from it, you can walk towards it and it'll show you exactly the direction to walk. Uh, you know, You can play pings, all of that kind of stuff which I think is pretty interesting. They've certainly thought about the privacy barrier. So, you know, you're not going to have other people being able to see your tags uh, or, you know, being able to trace you, all of that kind of stuff. So they've, they've given some thought about that. But the price tag is not that cheap. Uh, we're looking at $99 for a pack of four. Are you going to be buying an AirTag anytime soon, Barry? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think I am, Chad. I, I, I've been following this... For a year or two, and I've been talking about it for a while. And it's an interesting concept. It certainly is. I think it's going to make a lot of sense for bags and that sort of thing. Mm. If you imagine those situations where you arrive at the airport and your bag just isn't there, and you're like, I don't know what's going on. Like, that would be really helpful to kind of know where it is. Um, but, Chad, my question to you is, is how long is it going to be before um, wives and girlfriends are putting them in the back pocket <laughs> of their partner when they go out for boys' night to make sure they know exactly yep. what's going on? That's my question. <laughs> To be honest, uh, my, my response on that is that there's probably not going to be too many changes because uh, any any wife who would do that would, would probably already have the Find My app active, uh, you know, tracking the tracking the phone's <laughs> location anyway. Uh, but it certainly is interesting, especially when you look at uh, you know safety of kids at at schools. I know this is also something that that comes up. Um, so you know that could be a good uh, safety feature. My, my question is what it does to the the sales of the Apple Watches, which I think had a, a similar sort of feature. So I remember when we when we last spoke about one of the Apple events, Barry, uh, and you know we spoke about Apple Watch and the kind of family features that they were changing to Apple Watch. Um, you know, being able to actually track location was was one of the differentiators, one of the reasons to actually get that for for your kid. What do you think it does to to that? I think it might cannibalize a little bit of the market, but I think one of the key features that this doesn't have is communication capabilities back and forth, right? Yeah. So those watches designed for those kids were able to kind of phone those one or two numbers um, that are pre-programmed into the watch and kind of get in touch with their parents if they needed to. So I think this is an ancillary thing that might be good for a school bag or good for something like that. But the watch is still gonna still gonna hold that same value of being able to connect with the parents, but not connect it to the whole universe of the internet and everything that a phone brings. Um, and so I think it's it, there's a slight overlap, Chad, but I don't think it's gonna have that much of a difference. I think that what I'm curious to see is whether it does it take off or not. Like I've got no idea mm. how popular this is gonna be. Um, that feeling I don't, is it going to be a product or is it going to be one of those gimmicks one of those things that you, you buy initially and then you don't find much usage for it yeah very very interesting let's let's certainly see how people uh you know get involved with with the air tags it's it's certainly another another boon to the apple ecosystem i guess if you if you're in the ecosystem already 
um, it, it kind of makes sense to, to add one of these than buying uh, a third party. I mean, th these these type of third party air tags have been out for a long time um, with limitations, of course. Um, so, yeah, certainly if you're in the ecosystem already, I, I guess it makes sense. And, and certainly those Apple, uh, you know, heads will certainly be keen to, to get involved in this. The next thing, Barry, is something I'm very pleased to announce. Uh, and when we spoke about an Apple event <laughs> a little while ago, you asked me, you know, what I was keen for. And I think it was two or even three Apple events ago. I've been waiting for this for a long time. Do you know what it is? Do you know what it is? <laughs> of course I do, Chad. This has been a running joke of ours for the last couple of months. Um, and Chad, I, wa I want you to once again, because you know I'm skeptical about this update. I want you to if you, once again convince me why this brand new Apple TV 4K is worth the upgrade. Tell me why. Well, the previous Apple TV 4K has been out for, I don't even know how long. It's been out for a number of years, Barry. And, and it's just about time that there's an update. There's been so many new processes since the old one was released. Uh, you know, it's become a little bit slow. I mean, I don't have the Apple TV 4K currently myself. Um, it's been something I've been wanting to get, but I've been holding back on because paying that this sort of price for a processor that was so old, uh, it just, you know, I, I could never bring myself to, to do it. Now we've got the updated for Apple TV 4K, which I believed in and I was really keen uh, to, to see. And we finally have it, Barry. So there's some really cool innovations, actually, to be honest. Not only do you have that updated chip and processor, which is certainly going to help um, when you're binge watching your however many episodes into whatever series you're watching on Netflix or wherever you're watching it, uh, you know, and obviously make sure that it's smooth and, and plays back nicely and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, on top of that, Barry, we now have HDR at high frame rates, which I think is really interesting and exciting, especially for those who do have HDR TVs, watch, uh, you know, Dolby Vision, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, you'll, you'll now be able to watch HDR in, I think, up to 60 frames per second. That also aligns to essentially the video that your iPhone can shoot. I remember we spoke about the uh, upgrades in video in one of the previous Apple events. And uh, I mean, obviously, you know, if you're able to, to, to capture the video, you need to be able to play, for, play it back as well. And so they've also upgraded the AirPlay functionality uh, so that the AirPlay functionality, which if you've never used it before, just lets you essentially share your screen uh, onto your Apple TV. Uh, it, it's kind of like magic. It works really well. Um, uh, but that'll now let you uh, airplay at these higher frame rates. So obviously, you know, they need to do quite a bit of uh, upgrades under the hood for that. And then, of course, the, the remote's been upgraded. Uh, if you've ever seen the previous remote, it had like a sort of flat touch surface, which uh, a lot of people, including myself, were, were not mad about. Now they've replaced it with the more traditional kind of jog wheel, um, which is kind of bringing me back to the, the iPod days, Barry, where you kind of would jog through the library. And you can do the same thing here to fast forward through episodes uh, or, you know, move, move to the next, uh, you know, whatever it is that you're consuming. And then finally, which I think is really cool, Barry, is the ability to calibrate your TV. Now, as we know, displays come out of the box from different manufacturers. The settings cannot be more different if you tried. Uh, everyone wants to have their own new take <laughs> on 
different colors, different, you know, sharpness and clarity and, uh, you know, different sort of contrast levels, all of that kind of stuff. So what you can now do, Barry, and I think this is really cool, is use your iPhone to read what is coming from your, your screen effectively and calibrate your display to industry standards so that when the colorist who is working on whatever film or series you're watching, um, you know, when they intended for a scene to come across in a certain way, you can actually make sure that it does. Um, and to be honest, those seem like some pretty noteworthy upgrades, uh, features for an upgrade, <laughs> shall I say, don't you think? Oh, you make a good case, Chad. You make a good thing. I've certainly been in that position where there are a thousand settings you can choose from. And as someone who doesn't know like how all of these bits and pieces work technically, I, it's a bit overwhelming sometimes to know which settings you should be changing and what is the best way to kind of set it up as, as needed. And so if they can do that for you in an automated way, that's super, that's super cool. So, Chad, I think it's very interesting. Of course, it's, it's going to come with a big price tag. But like you say, yeah. all of this stuff comes, comes with a new processor and that sort of thing. So the question is, have you ordered it yet? That's, that's the big question. Well, I don't think it's available for, for pre-order just yet, unfortunately, Barry. I think that's only coming up, uh, I think, on the 30th. You can pre-order and then you'll only receive it mid-May, I think. Uh, I might be off on the dates. Uh, don't quote me on that. But I think that's where, they, where they're looking. So they, they've certainly uh, pushed out the dates you know, from the unveiling to being able to receive the, the stuff. But I think it's a strategy that's worked. I think you, you build up anticipation, you get enough people looking forward to whatever it is you're, you're releasing. Uh, and on the day that orders open, you actually end up seeing a lot of those orders open. Yeah, it's, it's the classic kind of um, build-up strategy we've seen from them. Apple are absolutely amazing at building anticipation around their products. Like their events are always miles above the rest. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a good sales tactic. It makes you kind of froth at the mouth for a, for a couple of weeks <laughs> before you can get your hands on it, um, which is really cool. <laughs> it most certainly does. And uh, when you do eventually go and watch through this event, Barry, this one was not an exception at all. Um, it was the, the mouth frothing material we always see coming out from Apple. So the next release, uh, which is, is one that has been missing since the, the basically the, the Apple chip was released, the M1 chip. And obviously we spoke about that and the importance of Intel being uh, out of the picture here, really. Uh, and Apple basically going with their own uh, brand of chip and all of the benefits that that brings by having your RAM, your GPU, all of these components all on the same chip. Uh, which, which you know, makes it a whole lot quicker for everything to kind of run around. It's not relying on a, a bus to, to slow it down. Um, and ultimately also, more importantly, I think, uh, being able to also reduce the, the energy usage and uh, ultimately the heat and all of that kind of stuff as well. So you're able to now see uh, smaller footprints as well, which is really exciting. So those of you who have loved the iMac range uh, will now be very happy that the M1 chip is now an iMac and Barry I'm sure you've followed the Apple you know Apple Mac the desktop and its evolution through the years I mean started out with this kind of TV looking like device with which had like a blue back and it's evolved now to this razor thin uh, it almost looks like an iPad kind of you know it's that sort of flat profile um, it, it's really really quite aesthetic, uh, quite quite slim, and of course they've now gone for this color approach as well, which I'm not crazy about. What do you think? <laughs> 
Yeah, Chad, I think you make a good point. Like Apple, Apple design still is absolutely amazing in, in how sleek it is and how sophisticated mm. it looks. Um, it, it really looks like an amazing machine. And I think the performance is going to be there with the new M1 chip. So that's really exciting to see. But of course, the colors are what everyone's talking about. And there are a whole bunch of different ones, including the purple, Chad, uh, which purple. is always interesting yeah. to see. Um, but I, I don't know if you want that sort of color on your desk. Like I think the whole idea with these desk setups is that they're quite as minimalistic as possible. You try and stick to neutral colors wherever you can. It's yeah. going to be hard to see someone putting a bright yellow iMac on their on their desk. I, I, just, I don't see it happening. But then again, maybe maybe there's a whole market out there for these multicolors of computers. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe. I mean, I was really surprised by it. I'm certainly waiting for them to unveil like an iMac Pro or something in, the, in that usual space gray, like, like you mentioned, Barry. Um, I think just to, to, to sit on the M1 chip for a little bit, um, obviously, because when we last spoke about it, there was a lot of uncertainty about what apps might be available, you know, how this uh, kind of this period, this transition period of, of uh, Intel Silicon to Apple Silicon, how's that going to actually go? And uh, it seems a lot more apps are now actually, you know, compatible with Apple Silicon. And those that are, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've just seen so much positive stuff um, from people who are using chips with uh, Apple Silicon. It just makes a lot of sense, Chad, is if Apple can do everything in-house in and kind of have that very, very custom native um, collaboration between the hardware and the software, you're going to get amazing performance. And so like, like you say, I've seen lots and lots of amazing reviews about how much faster, how much efficient, how much apps actually are. And this will follow, right? The moment that Apple announces these sorts of things, developers get on as quickly as possible. Yeah. And so we've seen these apps slowly churning out those updates that need to, to happen in order to be M1 compatible. And so going forward, I think it's a great move for Apple. It's your typical business case scenario you'll see in business school about vertical integration, getting yet another part of the value chain under their, under their, under their roof. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's a really good move. And Intel are really going to lose out, Chad, because this get faster and faster and better and better, these chips, which is going to make these products even more part of the Apple ecosystem. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, I'm certainly keen to eventually uh, upgrade and, and get some M1 uh, chips, but there's still a few programs that I'm waiting on to, to upgrade, nat to natively support it, um, for, for it to then become really, really worthwhile. Uh, one, one other thing that they've done, Barry, on this iMac is, you know, a lot of people have been waiting for this for some time. As we're talking to you right now, you are sitting with the MacBook and you've got the, the MacBook camera. They've finally improved the camera to a 1080p camera. Finally. I don't know why it's taken Apple so long to do this. Um, but, you know, now that I guess we're, the pandemic has resulted in us all working from home a heck of a lot more, it's actually just brought focus, I guess, to how bad these cameras have been. Um, and so, you know, on the back of that, they've upgraded the camera, the microphones, uh, which obviously is a really important thing at this point in time, especially with all of this virtual communication. But I'm sure you're pretty relieved to see that as much as I am. Yeah, I think it's a very important point because if you look back a couple of years ago, Chad, when you were choosing a computer, what you were worried about was like RAM and how much storage it had and processing speed and that sort of thing. Whereas in today's modern world, post-pandemic, it's all about the Zoom, the setup, yeah. right? How are you going to get your video conferencing <laughs> meetings right? How are you going to get the best quality camera and microphone so that you look sharp in those meetings and can put your best foot forward? So the world is certainly transformed in that perspective. And I'm pretty sure that a lot of new laptop sales 
and a lot of new device sales in general are thinking very carefully about their Zoom setup. And yeah. so you have to have a good camera. You've got to have good microphones. It's just part of the game these days. So it doesn't surprise me at all, but it surprised me how long it's taken, Chad, that it took a whole global <laughs> pandemic to Agreed. get them to put a decent camera into these things. Agreed. You almost wonder whether they were just sitting with over, like overstocked with the old ones and they were just like, no, let's just use these up until we've <laughs> run out. Um, and, you know, then we can finally replace them. It's it's ridiculous. But anyway, it's finally here. So, so that is that is a good thing. Let's let's not complain any further. Um, what, one of the last things that, that was announced that I think is definitely worth mentioning. And I mean, I spoke about the, the iPad Air not too long ago in this release, and I said I was salty because I, I upgraded in April last year or even even before that. And Barry, a whole year has gone by. I, I can't believe it. There's a new iPad Pro. Um, mine is still so fast, so snappy. I don't know why uh, an upgrade is even needed. But of course, they've got this M1 chip, and they've thrown it into the iPad Pro. And the video, I know you didn't watch the event, Barry, but you've got Tim Cook um, you know, kind of sneaking his way in, like burgling his way into the, the Apple grounds and slyly, sneakily putting that chip into the, the iPad Pro. Uh, and, and it's certainly a video that I would recommend watching. Um, but, you know, this is huge. This is, this is really huge to have desktop level computing power on a tablet that you carry around with you. Um, I mean, the iPad has, as it has been for the last couple of years, has already rivaled most laptops out there. So now that you've got the M1 chip on there too, I'm quite disappointed that it's still running iPad OS. I kind of hoped that they would announce uh, some more support for desktop uh, applications, because now that you've got that power, surely you should be able to open up a desktop level application and, and work along on your on your iPad. And some of these screens, I mean, you've got a 12.9 inch iPad Pro. Uh, it's it's as big as some of the laptops out there. So you know, I would have liked to see that, but but we didn't see that. We also then saw a 5G support. Obviously, the, the iPhone lines now all have that, so that's come to the iPad now finally as well. And then something really cool, Barry, that I, that I think you'd uh, quite enjoy is a feature called Center Stage. So they've upgraded the front camera to an ultra-wide camera, and uh, effectively what you have now is the Center Stage feature. So when, you've, when you're doing a video call, um, basically what it will do is it'll automatically follow your face around using this, the extra pixels and the extra definition of this front camera, um, and uh, you know it'll basically follow your face around. So that's center stage, obviously more focus on the uh, work from home, the pandemic effect, all of that kind of stuff coming to the iPad as well with some crazy power. It's, it's almost been inevitable, Chad, that the, the iPad Pro was going to merge eventually with the laptops, and it's getting dangerously close. Like mm -hmm. Just the fact that you're disappointed there's no Mac OS just points to how close these devices are to each other these days. And I think for someone who's not doing crazy like spreadsheets or not doing like hectic sorts of work that requires more of a laptop kind of vibe, this is an amazing kind of product for general home and, and office usage. It's really becoming a super powerful piece of equipment. And uh, yeah, all of the things they're doing just make a whole lot of sense, Chad. And so my gut feeling is that in five to six years time, we're not going to be able to tell the difference between the MacBook Airs and the iPads just because it's going to be so, so similar in terms of capability, in terms of support, in terms of software and hardware capabilities. Um, so it's really exciting in that respect. And thinking about it now, like eventually when I move on from this MacBook Air, Chad, yeah. there's a really good case to be made to go to an iPad Pro rather than to, rather than to another MacBook Air. So that is an interesting discussion that will come in time. 
And I think it just points to how much progress the iPads have made in the last couple of years. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Um, you know, I've, I've already seen a lot of people replacing their workflows uh, onto iPad Pros. Obviously, it depends on, on your applications and what, what you do with your computer. Uh, like I said, it would be, it would be good for some more uh, applications to, to get that sort of native support. I mean, it is reverse compatible at the moment, so you can run an uh, iPad OS app, say for instance, on uh, your actual you know, Apple Mac OS. So it, it would be nice if you could do if you could do the opposite as well. Uh, the last thing I wanted to quickly touch on Barry as well is uh, just these displays and what they're doing with these displays. It's it's ridiculous. So this the 12.9 inch version is now getting an XDR display, and I'm sure you've seen those creators with that extremely expensive. I think it's a 5K XDR display. The colors, the contrast. It's incredible, um, but they're not cheap. They're really not cheap. Um, and, and the stands alone, I think you can end up paying like $1,000 just for the stand. Um, so basically, <laughs> the fact that this, this new iPad Pro is sporting an XDR display, uh, they spoke about all of this cool tech about uh, these really, really small like LEDs and how you know using these, these new LEDs that they've never had before um, in, in the screen has, has enabled them to really up that brightness, up that contrast, uh, you know, control all these zones and, and do all of that kind of stuff to, to bring an XDR display onto an iPad. It's, it's really exciting. And it's one of those, one of those examples of how this tech keeps getting pushed to the limits, right? What Apple does every single year is push things to the limits and bring this sort of incredible, like world-class displays to a tablet. If you had told someone 10 years ago that, that that's what these tablets would be like these days, they would have told you you're crazy, right? And so it's amazing how good these devices are getting. And over time, it's going to become more and more affordable and you're going to just get insanely good, like screen displays and insanely good, yeah. um, experience chad like imagine sitting in your bed watching netflix with this like cinema quality display on your ipad it's going to be absolutely yeah. unreal it is uh but for that to happen barry they're gonna have to start changing the aspect ratio i mean some of the ipads are still at like a four by three aspect ratio and you know we all know that content we consume uh certainly video content is uh, 16 by 9 so uh, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll soon see if, if they eventually go and make that change um, I mean it'll still be really good to consume that content uh, regardless uh, especially now with Apple's spatial audio and you know all of that kind of support uh, it certainly certainly is an interesting move into into the world of media consumption uh, but beyond that for, for creators as well it's media media production powerhouse too Barry, the next thing that we're going to talk about today, I mean, that's everything Apple. If that was too much Apple for you, sorry. Um, but we are Apple fanboys <laughs> to the extreme. Sorry, um, not so we, sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Uh, the fact that we spent 40 minutes talking about a one-hour uh, presentation, this was supposed to be a summary. <laughs> um, that's, uh, yeah, I'm sure you'll forgive us for that. Barry, the next thing we're talking about this week, uh, perhaps you could give us a little bit of a, uh, an overview because I've been talking way too much. Uh, but it, it certainly has swept the world up by storm. <laughs> yeah, Chad, and I, I, know, I know you're not a huge football fan, but I'm sure you must have seen some of the rumblings yeah. of this because the whole football world kind of fell apart in the space of 48 hours. It was absolute chaos. And the reason for the chaos was the announcement of a very controversial new competition called the European Super League. So basically what happened was there were 12 clubs and, and arguably the 12 biggest and most valuable clubs in the world 
all announced at the same time that they were going to form this new breakaway league where they would play each other in the European in the European kind of context. So there was six teams from England. There was Man City, Man United, Arsenal, Liverpool, Tottenham, and Chelsea. Then you had Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Atletico Madrid from Spain. You had Inter Milan and AC Milan and Juventus from Italy. So you had some of the biggest clubs in the world coming together to form this, this brand new Super League. And the idea was that they were going to play these midweek games, Chad, where they were going to be in, in league stages and then knockouts and then uh, eventually get to a final. But the, the weird thing was is that this was going to be different to the Champions League and different to the domestic leagues. And it was going to come with this idea that these teams were in this contract for the next 23 years. So there were no promotions, Whoa. no relegations. These teams were just hand-selected to form this 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 new Super League. And the idea was that they would then bring three or four teams up who would qualify every year based on others, other various criteria. And uh, the amount of money that was being talked about, Chad, was in the billions. This whole deal was underwritten by JP Morgan. It was a huge, huge financial thing. And the whole idea was that they would each of these clubs would be getting three to $4 billion a year guaranteed regardless of how many games they won or lost because of all the TV rights they're going to sell to this around the world. So it, on one side, it was a very exciting announcement because these are the top teams in the world and getting to see them play against each other more regularly would be awesome, right? I, I can't deny they would be amazing to watch. But just the way it was done and kind of disregard it had for all the other teams and, and mm. what this could do if this actually happened it could destroy all the domestic leagues, right? Because it would completely overshadow the Champions League. These clubs would likely play their better players in these games and rest them for the domestic games because of the amount of money that was involved. And they were just chosen because they were the most valuable, even though some of them haven't won a European championship in, in, in decades. And so it was announced and the world went berserk. There was widespread condemnation from anyone you can think of, players, managers, journalists, everybody kind of stood up and said, this is not okay. This is pure greed. This is a pure money play. It's got nothing to do with the basics of football, the basics of like on your, on your merits being rewarded based on how well yeah. you play and getting promoted and relegated because of how you, and giving a small team the ch chance to come up the ranks and start to compete with things. The, the canonical example here is Leicester City, who were this kind of mid-table side that have transformed themselves in the last couple of years and won the championship just two years ago. And then you're saying to them, they've got no chance of ever entering the Super League. It was absolutely crazy. And the most, the most interesting thing, Chad, was that this was all done by the billionaire owners, right? So a lot of the talk was that a lot of these billionaire owners are Americans. And so the, the whole idea seemed very American. If you look at the NFL, or the NHL, or, or the NBA, all of these things are very much, there's no relegation, no promotion. It's all yeah. about the money. It's very, very commercial. And this is what it felt like. But the reality of football in England, and certainly in Spain and Italy as well, is that these football clubs are made by the workers for the workers like if you live in liverpool you support liverpool because that's part of your culture it's very very much part of the british culture and the british kind of ethos and so to go this this money route where it was going to be more european in nature rather than british just didn't sit well um and so after all of that chaos chad in the space of like 36 to 48 hours where everyone was screaming at the top of their lungs about how terrible this was i think the owners started to realize we may have got this wrong and like this, we saw clubs dropping out left, right, and center. And at the time of recording, Chad, all of the English teams have dropped out. Barcelona has yep. dropped out. Inter Milan and AC Milan have dropped out. The league has basically fallen to absolute shambles. And so in 48 hours, we went from this hell of a controversial Super League to all the way back to where we started, where 
club owners are resigning, chairmans are resigning, <laughs> and things seem to have fallen apart, Chad. Absolute, absolute farce. <laughs> Absolutely insane. I, I mean, I did hear so much about this over here in the UK, um, and rightly so. Like you say, I think football... It's it's certainly not something that I've I've been involved in, but but for all of those who have lived and you know grown up uh, in in these communities, that team is so much more than just a sports team. It is like you say, it's it's ingrained in the culture. It's it's so, it's so important here in England, um, you know that that all of these teams have a chance, right? That that teams like Leicester City can can get across and you know win a title um it's those sort of unlikely stories that, that really give the, the hope and uh for a lot of these people it's it's kind of their their purpose it's the reason why they they keep going to that that job every day it kind of carries them through life um looking forward to to their team and and uh you know sticking sticking by them through through thick and thin so to see this kind of greed from all of these owners who like you say are, are billionaires themselves and who Ultimately, this money would just go to to buying bigger boats, Barry. Um, it's it's kind of it's kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy that they even thought that something like this could could work. And in in that statement that they put out, citing the pandemic as a reason, um, you know, it was just pretty audacious. And a lot of people, uh, you know, just don't feel that it washes. I mean, for me, regardless of the fact that they've all pulled out and dropped out like flies now. Uh, we've got to remember that this was a coalition and that every single one of them wanted a piece of this pie. Um, and so for me, to some extent, uh, the damage is done. And I really hope that uh, all of the fans and all the supporters of uh, of football, whether it is British, Spanish or Italian, uh, remembers what happens here. I mean, there's a reason why none of the German clubs uh, were, you know, did this. A lot of those clubs have got uh, fan ownership. Um, and so, you know, you're able to safeguard for, for, for some of this stuff uh, actually happening. But uh, lots of calls now in the UK for potentially a sort of regulator to be set up in, in some way, like we've got Ofcom in the, in the media space. Um, you know, the government even getting involved, Boris saying, uh, you know, he, he wasn't going to let this happen. Um, so, yeah, certainly, certainly a, a very controversial sort of move. And uh, to be quite honest, I, I don't know what they were thinking. Yeah, I think I think the main point is what you we pointed out there is the disconnect between these owners and the actual fans and the club themselves, right? What what is crazy to me is that the managers and the, the players and stuff were finding out at the same time we were finding mm. out, Chad. Yeah. They had nothing to do with any of this, and they were needed to answer. Had found out two hours ago, and you would think there'd be some sort of connection, like the managers and the players are important pieces of this puzzle. But it just shows that these owners felt themselves completely above any of that. And these, whatever, 12 billionaires on Zoom calls or whatever they did to kind of put this all together with no regard for anyone else, no regard for the clubs that they were owning. I heard this fascinating anecdote from one of the Sky Sports journalists saying that they heard from an inside story that one of these, one of these billionaire owners had basically never been to a game. And the one time no they did fly across to the UK and come to a game, they had to ask someone which color their team was playing in. No way. And that's just a, a very, very vivid story about how these people really see these clubs as pure businesses and do not understand or can relate to any of the culture and stuff that's underneath it. 
And so, like you say, fan ownership is important. And having someone who owns the club that actually is a Liverpool fan, that is a kind of a, a fanatic, is really, really important. And so this independent regulator is going to hopefully come in and try and help some of that. Because this, this won't be the last time they try it, this chat, of course. Like, this yeah, is a business sure. after all. And, and, and this is just a kind of a warning shot, in my opinion, as to what the future of football might look like. And uh, unfortunately, with, with the, the Premier League becoming such a ginormous monster, like one of the biggest money-making things in the world, one of the biggest sports franchises in the world, there's going to be a lot of people coming in to try and take that take it hostage. And unfortunately, you do need billions of dollars to buy these clubs these days. So yep. it's hard to give the club to someone who really is a passionate ex-player or ex-manager because they just don't have the funds. And so you end up in the hands of these oligarchs and these American businessmen and these people who don't care about the sport but only see it as an asset that they can sweat for as much as they can. Yeah, it is a it's a it's a it's a hard it's a hard situation here, really. Uh, I mean, I watched uh, James uh, Corden uh, obviously on his show, you know, pleading, and uh, you know, this this really this really really hurt a lot a lot of people uh, very very deeply. Um, and so, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what what happens if we see any regulation come through after this. If we, uh, you know, what, what do we see coming out from from UEFA and FIFA? Uh, I mean, on the on the devil's advocate side of this, Barry. I mean, you know, there is a lot of kind of corruption in both of those entities as well. And so, you know, I don't understand wanting to set up a, an alternative league, but you know, to be able to do it in the way that that these you know these clubs proposed uh, should should surely not be allowed. Um, and so, yeah, I'm 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 very intrigued to see what happens uh, going forward. Yeah, it's a good point. It's way more complicated than just a good guy, bad guy situation here because, like you say, UEFA and FA and, and whatnot have got their own problems. The Champions League is a bit of a mess from an administrative mm. point of view. Um, and so there's lots of things to fix, and that's one of the reasons why this league was even considered in the first place was because of the problems in the system. Um, but this is not the way to fix it. Like, this is not the way. It's not, it's not the way sport's supposed to be played um, with this idea that victory is guaranteed and you can be guaranteed a spot in this yeah. league for the next 23 years without having to do anything for it, right? Like one of the examples, Arsenal. Arsenal are languishing in the middle, being one of the top clubs for the last couple of years. So the only reason they get in is because of their brand name, because of the value of the club, which is just pure money. Whereas you have a club like West Ham, who's a much smaller club, but is now sitting in fourth position, trying to qualify for Champions League, and they've done amazingly well. And this kind of proposal just kind of cuts that out altogether mm. and just focuses purely on the money. I saw, I saw a great tweet saying it's only a matter of time until we have like Beyonce performing at halftime in the Champions League final in the way that they do at the Super Bowl, right? Turning it into this ginormous yeah. commercial endeavor that kind of doesn't matter about the football. It matters about the commercial aspects of this. And I think the British people want to fight against that with all they have because like football is British. Like football is what makes Britain what it is. It's an absolute religion over there. And so the fans are not going to accept it when it goes the American route. Completely agree. Uh, you know, got to got to try and protect the heritage uh, of of the sports. I mean, I, I think about cricket as well, Barry. And you know, imagine imagine you see some of these sort of changes coming to the sport that you love as well. Um, you you always have to you know protect against the the initial heritage of of, of the sport and and the culture uh, in any particular country as well. So important. Let's see what happens uh, on that front. Now, Barry, the next thing we're talking about uh, is a little bit of excitement from beyond our, uh, this planet, this rock, this giant floating rock that we all live on. Um, and it's, it's an extension to a story that we spoke about not too long ago. 
it's, it's a rare moment, Chad, when you can actually witness history in the making and you know that you were like on, alive and, and, and watching that moment that people will talk about in years to come. And there was this Wright Brothers moment on the surface of Mars uh, where for the very first time there was flight from the surface of Mars. And that comes in the form of this tiny little drone <laughs> slash helicopter we call Ingenuity. And we chatted about it in a previous podcast, but very excitingly, Chad, in the last couple of days, it had its first flight. So it managed to Crazy. detach itself from the belly of the rover, managed to kind of charge itself with the sun and kind of survive the cold, cold nights over there on Mars. And very excitingly, it was able to do its first flight autonomously. It was only about 40 seconds. It just went up and down about 10 feet in the air. But it's the first flight of many. And a really, really exciting moment, the first time something has taken flight on a different planet, Chad. And one of the cool kind of little tidbits that I found that I found really cool was that they actually attached a tiny piece of the fabric from the original Wright Brothers plane no onto this ways. helicopter to kind of carry on that, that, that tradition and that journey that Ingenuity has been on. And so I find that so cool. It gives me goosebumps to think about it. <laughs> um, history in the making, Chad. That is so cool, Barry. I, I I didn't know about that. I really, really didn't. Um, such a cool little Easter egg, if you'd like, uh, on this massively historic moment. And uh, I mean, I do I do wonder what the the plans are for Ingenuity going forward, uh, especially when you when you mentioned it's been charged by the sun. Um, you know, what what are the sort of plans for it? I mean, I know this in itself uh, is a promising moment because you know it, it kind of uh, it's a testament to the fact that the the atmosphere allows this sort of flight right that 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 um you, you know you, you're able to to transport uh, certain things in certain ways so uh you know do you know what some of the other you know more ambitious plans are for this or were we just trying to see whether it be possible uh to to fly on mars at all Yeah, Chad, it's, it's easy to think that this is as simple as just putting a DJI drone on, on Mars and flying <laughs> it around. Right? We've seen so many drones that yeah. it can feel a little bit understated. But we have to remember that this is way more difficult, and this is not a DJI drone. This is a custom-built <laughs> helicopter built for Mars. Um, you, you chatted about the atmosphere. Because of the difference in the atmosphere between Mars and Earth, the rotors have to spin five times faster than oh, wow. helicopters on Earth. So it's an incredible piece of engineering and machinery just to get off the ground. So that's the first thing is that we have to we have to put things in perspective. It's not mm. just flying a DJI around. <laughs> it's actually a really, really specialized piece of equipment. And yeah. because you've got that 12-minute delay, of course, it all has to be autonomous. You've got no ability to do it in real time because it takes too long for the signals to go back and forth. And uh, if you get it wrong, Chad, there's no one going to fetch it. There's no one collecting it from the tree. <laughs> there's no one getting it from the lake. It's all, all or nothing. And so as far as I understand, after this maiden test flight, they've got two more test flights that they're going to do, very simple up and down flights to make sure it can charge itself and kind of okay. keep going. And once those three flights have happened, they're going to start to get a little bit more ambitious and they're going to try and use it to go and explore a bit of Mars. One of the major advantages of this machine is that it can cover ground much faster than the rover can. The rover can't travel huge distances because it's, it's quite slow and it's, it's, it's a bit wonky to get around. Whereas the, the helicopter should be able to give us really amazing imagery and sensor readings from around Mars. And so the moment it is it kind of past those test flights, they're going to start sending it out as far as they can send it and try and get some more information about what the surface of Mars actually looks like from a data perspective, but also from an imagery perspective to get a sense as to what we're dealing with. 
And so I don't know if they, I don't know if they are expecting to find things. I don't know what we're going to find, but it's going to be very interesting to see if we can use a little scout to go and check out what the red planet is all about. Really, really cool. It's very exciting. Uh, the first step, uh, the first step is always an important one. Like you say, it's, it's certainly not trivial at all. Um, and I'm excited to see more coming from that camp. I had no idea about the rotors having to spin five times faster. Kind of crazy, really, that that tiny little thing uh, can can achieve can achieve that. Um, really, really quite fascinating indeed. Barry, the next thing is, is something we're going to just quickly touch on. I know, I know we're running pretty far far ahead uh, of this episode, but. Um, you know, basically today we, we, we've got a, the judgment uh, last, coming through last night, actually, as we're recording this, um, that uh, Derek Chauvin has been convicted uh, guilty of all counts of, of murder, manslaughter on George Floyd. And uh, I mean, as I was reading the newspaper th this afternoon on my way back, uh, you know, being reminded with that picture, that traumatic picture of him with his knee down on the ground, um, and you know it, it just invokes all of these emotions uh, when, when you when you look at it. Um, so you know to see justice, obviously, uh, you know something like this should never have happened, um, and so you know this this can never be kind of seen as as good news. Uh, you know the verdict the verdict is good news, but uh, you know it would have been better for this to have not happened. Um, but of course, justice for George Floyd for his family. Uh, and more importantly, for all of the black Americans, uh, you know, who, who live with these kind of concerns and these kind of fears uh, every single day. Yeah, Chad, it's been a difficult week or two watching this trial unfold. I know a lot of people struggled when the defense attorney was defending Chauvin and kind of talking about some of the reasons why they were trying to plead their case. And I think a lot of people were worried that this case would go the way as so many other cases would, where, where yep. people wouldn't be held accountable and they'd find a way to weasel out of, of something like this. Um, but thank goodness the, the jury managed to kind of see around all the bits and pieces and, and, and like you say, declare him guilty on all, con on all counts. And he's going to go to jail for a very, very long time. Um, and so, yeah, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't bring George Floyd back. It doesn't kind yeah. of stop any of that. But it, it really is a, a landmark case to really push the Black Lives Matter movement forward and make us take pay attention, right? And kind of set that example that this sort of behavior, this sort of um, reckless abandon, is just not acceptable in any in any circumstance. Yeah. And hopefully it's the first of many. Hopefully this is kind of a, a clarion call for for dealing with some of the issues we have in America and around the world. Like this, this wasn't just an American case. It really was, it became a, a global phenomenon. And like you say, that video and that image is going to be in all of our minds for the rest of our lives. I feel it's hard to unsee that. Um, yeah. And so a small, a small piece of light um, at the end of the tunnel. Um, still lots of work to do, but it at least, at least there was some accountability. At least we can say that. Yeah, and, and like you say, we, we still need to wait for, for sentencing. Um, I believe the maximum term we can see on this is, is 40 years. Um, the standard term would be, I think, I, I, I don't, don't quote me on it, I think around sort of 12 years or something like that. Um, so, you know, we, 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 obviously, we obviously hope he, he gets a, a, a you know, good term in terms of 
you know, has a, a, a bit of time, quite a long time in, in jail to, to think about his actions. Um, and, you know, of course, like you said, Barry, in, in terms of the rest of the work to be done, um, you know, Biden phoning the family after the verdict, Biden, you know, attesting to to carry on with this work, carry on until it's done, uh, those those sorts of things, uh, which is which is what you want to see. I mean, really interestingly, I mean, this is the first time in uh, in Minnesota, from, from what I read, that a white police officer has been uh, convicted for killing a, a black person. So. I definitely think it's a, it's a watershed moment, um, the first of many, like you say, Barry, and um, you know, certainly in terms of the trial and, and getting a fair trial and all that kind of stuff, there's no doubt he's going to be uh, raising an appeal. Um, I, I heard something about a, a payout, and he's, he's going to be using that to, to, to try and, um, you know, try and change this judgment. Uh, but ultimately, hopefully, this uh, this stands the, the, the test of time, and uh, you know, ultimately, that the jury's decision is uh, held for for you know for all of the time to come. Definitely, and on that Biden point, Chad, isn't it nice to have an adult in the White House? Can you yeah. imagine Trump in this situation? Like, it would have been a whole different story. There would be no phone call going to the family. So a really nice moment where we know mm. we've got an adult in the White House. It's, it's, it's been a long time coming. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, loads, loads more work to do. But uh, like you say, at least there's someone who's up to it, um, which is always very interesting. Barry, where we're at at the moment, uh, we're going to have to skip one section, I think. Uh, what are you thinking? Do you want to do stuff I found interesting or do you want to look ahead? No, let's do stuff I find interesting. We'll leave look ahead for a later time. <laughs> Sounds good. Stuff I found interesting. Chad, I've been fascinated by a game that I've discovered in the last couple of weeks. Cool. And uh, I don't know why I'm fascinated by it, but it's, it's kind of addictive once you start. And so I'm a little <laughs> bit wary of recommending it on the podcast because I know I'm going to be the cause of a lot of lower productivity this next week. So bear with me here. But it's a really cool game and it's called GeoGuessr. Have you heard of it, Chad? Have you seen anything about it? Nothing about it at all. I mean, as we're talking now, I'm going to try and get it up on my screen to see if I can get up to speed. Um, I mean, you know, it's been a while since I've, I've had a, a game that has ta taken me from other more productive things. So I'm quite intrigued. <laughs> yes. Okay. So let me tell you a bit about it then. That's quite exciting. The whole idea of GeoGuessr is, do you remember those days, Chad, when they were sending that Google car around all around the world to create yes. Google Earth, right? And they would create these 3D models where you can go and look at basically any place in the whole world um, right down to created this amazing asset that's now being leveraged for this game. And so the way this game works is that you are dropped into a completely random coordinate somewhere in the world, right? <laughs> you're dropped into the Google Earth place and you have no idea where you are. And you kind of look around the area, you zoom, you kind of move up and down the street if you can, you go around and you try and look for clues. And the whole, whole game is trying to guess where you are. So once you've kind of picked up some of the clues, you'll click on a map of the world and you'll click your little pin where you think you are. And you click submit. And then it shows you how far away you were from, from the actual location to the, the cool. location that you were in. And you get points based on how quickly you do it. And there's a whole bunch of games that come along with it that all around that similar sort of idea. And the reason it's so fascinating, Chad, is because for some reason, 
assuming you're like well-traveled or you've kind of done a little bit, you've read a bit, you know a bit about languages and stuff, you can kind of get a real decent sense on where you are in general, like which continent or which country, etc., based on a few very like arbitrary clues that you normally wouldn't think would be that informative. And so for me, I found I'm way better at the game than I thought I was. I thought this would be okay. an impossible task to be dropped in a random place and kind of pick where you are. And in a lot of cases, you've got this gut feeling that comes, I think, from, from just seeing places that are so different. And it's an amazing way to travel in the COVID world. <laughs> to travel for free, to test your knowledge. Um, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely certain of the fact that uh, when you do guess where you are, Barry, and you're wrong, or if you're right, or whatever the case is, it makes you a whole lot more keen to actually go and see that place in real life. Because uh, now you appreciate all the finer details. Uh, you know, I've I've certainly gone to a place and taken photos and whatever the cases, and only very far after the whole experience, looked back on the pictures and kind of reflected and, and said, well, actually, this was really cool. I, you know, I wish I'd taken it in a whole, whole lot more when I was there. Um, and, and it comes to the, the preparation before a trip. It comes to, you know, looking up the famous landmarks, the history of a place, all that kind of stuff. Um, but that aside, this sounds like a really, really cool game. Uh, and, you know, like you said, what a cool way to use the Google Street View information that is out there already. Uh, I know people play such random games, um, you know, with, with Street View. Um, I mean, as we know, faces are always, uh, you know, blurred out. But, you know, a lot of people play really strange games and look for random items, all that kind of stuff. This is cool, though, to be able to throw yourself anywhere in the world and uh, kind of have to figure it out. Uh, almost use the breadcrumbs, if you'd like to, to kind of piece your way back to where you, you know, last knew you, you could possibly be. Exactly that, Chad. And it's amazing how, if you play it a little bit, you start to like really get a sense as to what makes England different from Ireland or Norway different from, from Denmark. And you get to see some of the cultural nuances that make a place what it is. It's amazing to me that, that I can see a random photo and kind of have a, have a gut feel as to whether this is Africa or the Middle East or is it South America or is it Southeast Asia? Like Those sorts of intuitions are very interesting to me because traditionally I, didn't, I wouldn't think it would be, even be possible. And with practice, you get better and better. And if you want to see the real pros, there's this whole channel or like lineup of YouTubers that are developing. Okay. My favorite is a guy called Geo Wizard. And these guys are <laughs> insanely good at this game. Geo they will Wizard. get within like 10 kilometers of this place. And it's absolutely incredible to watch. So if you want somebody to start before playing it yourself, go and watch some of the pros pros kind of pick up some tips about they look at street signs and languages and which side of the road they're on and where the sun is and all these tips so pick up all the tips from the wow. pros first and your own your own game will be that much better so cool really really cool um i'd, I'd be i'd be keen to see see you go uh, on a game barry because I'd, I'd imagine you'd be pretty good at this um you know just having a, an interest in history and uh and you know being pretty well traveled yourself as well I'd, I'd be keen to see how you how you fare um i certainly don't hold up very high expectations for myself uh but as soon as we finish with this episode <laughs> i'm gonna definitely go and give it a try because it sounds like uh, it sounds like something that would be quite fun to do uh with with family as well or, or you know just with friends or whatever the case is try and use your collective knowledge uh, and I guess it'd be quite hot debates as well. Um, it sounds like it's got the makings of a great game and uh, more importantly, it's free. So I think that is really awesome. Thank you for bringing it up, Barry. Uh, 
I'm ready to move on, if you are. Let's do it, Chad. Develop and grow. Develop and grow. We have been paying a bit more attention to this segment than the last year. Um, I just wanted to talk about two sort of insights that I had this past week. Um, the first one, talking about basically how much I've been taking on. I've been taking on way too much stuff. Barry, you and I talk about this all the time. We've always got tons of projects to do. Speaking of, you <laughs> owe me a uh, Sean Mendes vocal, which I've been waiting for oh. for a long time. Um, Damn but it. I, <laughs> I mean, that's it. <laughs> that said, um, you know, I've, I just feel like I've been taking way too much on. Now that I've returned to life, a commuting life now that I have, I'm actually going into the office uh, at least three days a week just out of personal choice for change of environments all that kind of stuff um, I've, I've really really struggled to do anything ad hoc sort of out of out of work um, you know for a whole long period of time obviously just because of uh, you and yours, yours and my nature I guess we always want to have all sorts of other stuff going on we want to strive to be able to uh, do a whole lot more than just the nine to five, but I think we we sometimes bit too hard on ourselves because you know the nine to five is a full time thing and it's never really nine to five either, is it? Um, so you know there's always extra hours that you're putting in as well. Um, and yeah, like I said, in in now that I don't have that extra time that I that I've been afforded by the pandemic. Um, it might be time to slow it down, to question some of the projects that I've I've got on, uh, you know, select one more specifically. Um, I don't know, but the, the other side of it, Barry, is that I've realized also how other families live because I've been, you know, living with another family. And uh, I guess just seeing how different routines are and uh, prioritizing that uh, relationship time as well when you get home uh, from a long day of work. And, uh, you know, it's really important to bond where... Previously, I'd be more than happy to just sit in a room and edit photos and, uh, you know, get on with get on with whatever project is that I'm, I'm working with. So potentially it's time to slow down. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but it's definitely been a bit of a, re a realization after returning to a little bit of normality this week. It's such an important point, Chad, and I feel like a complete imposter talking about it because I'm so bad at this. This is like yep. one of the one of the worst parts of my character and one of the things that gets in the way is that I take on way too much and I end up burning out. I end up kind of running myself into the ground. And I kind of feel like I'm there right now, Chad. We, we chatted a little bit at the beginning about my week. It's, it's, it's been absolute chaos, pandemonium. I haven't had a time to eat or breathe or sleep or see no. any friends or any of that stuff. And so I'm in the exact same position. Um, and it's something that I, I know intellectually but I find myself in the situation time and time again because I just want to do so much. Mm. I want to kind of tackle all these projects. I'm lucky enough to have so many opportunities at my at my my feet that it's like it feels tough to say no to them. I want to do them all. I want to say yes to everything. Um, and I have to learn to get better at kind of saying no and kind of, like you say, protecting things so that you can slow things down. Mm. Um, at the moment, I don't feel like I've got an outlet. I don't feel like I've got an opportunity to slow things down. I feel like I'm going at at sixth gear all the time, 24-7. Um, and that doesn't that doesn't work. You can maybe do it for a little, a short time, but eventually your body and your mind are gonna, gonna give up on you, right? And that's when you go through those those troughs that I think you and I both know very, very well. Yeah. Um, and so I appreciate the reminder. It's something that I need to work on. 
Um, and if there are ideas or advice out there, um, I would really love to hear it from, from anyone who's listening because it's something that I certainly struggle with um, and it's something that I, I need to continually work on. As well. I mean, I'd be open to any advice that anyone can throw it at us as well. Um, so you can contact us on any of our social media platforms um, or you know, in the link to any one of our shows, uh, there'll be a little, a little uh, link there to send us a voice note. Do it. Just send us a little voice note. We'd love to hear from you. Um, whatever it is, uh, we, we, we'd love to hear whatever you, you're thinking, whatever's on your mind. Um, the second little insight that I had this, this past week, and it's, it's been for a bit longer than a week, uh, I don't think we've spoken about it before here on Across the Pond, but do correct me if I'm wrong, Barry. Um, and that is the idea of batching. Um, a lot of people will, will hear that and think, what are you even talking about? We're not on a production line here. Uh, we're just living our lives. What are you talking about? Um, but batching is such an effective idea. Uh, we do it for, for our washing, whether it's dishes or clothes. We, we throw all of our clothes into a laundry basket and we kind of wash everything at the same time. Um, we should be able to apply that principle into many other areas of our lives. So, you know, talking about emails, let's not keep that email open the whole day long. Let's set a window of time, if it's in the morning or in the evening, or wh whether you're doing a commute, whatever the case is, to, to go through all the emails in one go, uh, rather than having this uh, open tap, having access to precious moments throughout your day. Um, there are so many other examples uh, where batching can be really, really effective. I'd be really keen to to get your take on it, Barry, to see if you've implemented it at all, um, you know, during your productivity, uh, self-discovery, when you're not playing uh, this geo-guesser, of course. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, have you, have you applied <laughs> any good pieces of, of batching to your life uh, thus far? Yeah, Chad, very much unlike the previous uh, topic, I actually can pat myself on the back here because this is something that I Great. think I do quite well. And it, it's, it's a concept that has really changed the way I work and changed the way I look at my life. Um, I originally came across it in Tim Ferriss' book, The 4-Hour Workweek, back in yep. a couple of years ago, and then was reiterated in Carl Newport's book, Deep Work, talking about the fact that we think we are good multitaskers. We think we're able to kind of spend a little bit of time on this and then this and then this and then this and kind of juggle between lots of different things because we think that's how the modern world works. But unfortunately, we, we pay a real cognitive cost when we are switching between tasks like that. And batching is this idea that let's kind of separate our tasks and compartmentalize them in a way where when we're in that email mood, when we are in those emails, we are getting through them as quickly as possible and we are kind of churning through it as best we can. And then we are leaving it for the next couple of hours and only coming back to it later in the day rather than doing it piecemeal. And that's because our brains have this weird kind of quality to them where con context matters a lot. The context of what you're doing really makes a big difference. Yeah. So when you're in the mood, when you're writing a report, it makes a lot of sense to spend three or four hours writing that report and batching all of that work in one go because then you're not having to warm up again and again and again. But if you're doing it exactly. in 20-minute chunks and you're trying to do other stuff in between, you're paying a lot of what I think of as mental transaction costs. Every time you change to a different thing, you're paying some sort of cost. And if you're doing it throughout the day, that adds up to a huge loss of productivity throughout your, your day. And so the more you can batch things, the better, Chad. And I, I'm not in the past, but there's a 
great essay called The Maker Manager Sketch. A little bit about this. There are tasks maker iterative. They are difficult. They are intellectually challenging and whatnot. And then there are also the tasks that are manager tasks, which are the admin, the chores, the more mundane and tedious things. And just batching them in those two buckets makes a lot of difference. If you know that, cool, I'm going to use the first half of my day for my creative stuff, which actually matters. I'm going to put the phone away. I'm going to put the social media away. I'm not going to look at email. And I'm just going to batch the most important tasks first and then leave the manager stuff for after lunch, the the Zoom calls, the, the social media, the emails. You'll find yourself being that much more productive. So it is a very, very powerful concept. And if you get it right, it can unlock huge benefits, Chad. So I think it's a good thing to bring up. Thanks. I, I'm glad you, you agree. And those are two books that I have got on my list. Uh, you know, I really, really want to get to them because so many people have got so much value uh, from the four hour work week and from deep work. So I, I definitely need to check those out at some point. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's such a great principle. Uh, I mean, there's so many examples, um, you know, of, of things that you do, uh, whatever, whatever it is, like you say, you can split it into those those two categories. Uh, but beyond that, if, if even something that's that seem, might seem trivial, if, if there's something that uh, you feel like is is a waste of your time, say for example you're preparing a meal from scratch every single day, why don't you do a bit of meal prep? Like cook three meals in one go and and batch it, put it into Tupperwares. Uh, it's just, any example uh, that you can think of uh, to use this idea of batching. Uh, where you you feel like there's a time suck in any element of your of your life, uh, I I definitely think it's a it's a useful tool, and uh, I mean I'm still looking for examples actively every single day, um, so uh, so yeah I just want to do to quickly um, just mention one of the the insights of uh, one of our listeners uh, said. Who, who is just talking about yeah how he's learned batching the hard way. Um, so he's been batching for years now, but as soon as he realized it and, and how how these modern technologies, Barry, that are so fast-paced, uh, you know, have this way of eating into your life, distracting your life, um, you know, you do kind of have to learn the hard way. But I guess as long as you're learning uh, and, and implementing these techniques, you're able to, to get that kind of uh, relief from from these invasive technologies, um, w- which are great and you know have so many uh, positives, uh, but if if left uncontrolled, uh, can really really lead to a distractive life. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a really good point. So thanks for sharing. And also, it's what what made this very vivid for me, and I think is a good exercise for anyone at some point in their life, is to do a real time tracking exercise before a week or two you're tracking every single moment of the day in some sort of system whether it's manually or whether it's in an app or whatever the story is because i promise you when you look yeah. back at those reports you will get a shock you will get a real shock at how your time is being spent versus how you think it's being spent and 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 that for me was the the, the trigger that kind of forced a lot of these conversations around batching is trying to take those bits and pieces of time that are spread out throughout the day and realizing that if I put them all in one go, if I did everything in that kind of task in the, at the same time, it was a different ball game altogether. And so I would encourage anyone, if you've never done it before, do a proper time tracking week or two. Um, the benefits, it, it's a little bit annoying. I'll, I'll give you that. It's, it's tough <laughs> to kind of keep tracking yourself like that. Yeah. But I promise you it's well worth the investment of time and resources because it will open your eyes to exactly all those inefficiencies that you have in your day. And batching is a huge deal with that. Completely agree. I need I need to do that. I still need to do that. It's on my list of, of things to do at some stage. I mean, I've tried, you know, the calorie tracking, all of that kind of stuff. It, it just, it, you start <laughs> out on day one 
uh, rearing out of the gates and then you realize how much of a faff it is. Um, but I mean, I've done audit, so I've been used to uh, tracking my time before, um, you know, billable hours, what client, which sort of uh, area of the engagement are you working on, all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, nothing new really. I, I should be able to just get on with it and, and get to it. Well, Barry, uh, that brings us to yet another episode, uh, the end of yet another episode of Cross the Pond. Um, while we're here, let's just quickly mention our social channels. You can find us on Facebook at Across the Pond Podcast. On Instagram, we are there as well at Across the Pondcast. We're on Twitter too. Go check us out there as well at Across underscore podcast. And last but not least, if you're watching this, you are watching on Across the Pond podcast that is on YouTube too, of course. Have you enjoyed this episode, Barry? I really have, Chad. It's been a really good one. Lots of interesting topics. Uh, a little bit over time again, but so packed up, right? We just can't help ourselves. And so I hope whether you're watching it or you're listening to it that you've enjoyed this and you got some value. We'd love to have some feedback. Like, like Chad yeah. said, all of those social media channels are available love to hear you want more of what you want less of the show is for you at the end of the day and we're always trying to improve things and kind of take things to the next level but for the moment thank you so much for tuning in we really appreciate you and we look forward to seeing you next week for episode 76 of across the pond across the pond